Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show with your host, Autumn Miles. Autumn is an author, speaker, wife, and mother. She's the founder and CEO of the Blush Network and the author of Appointed. Autumn's vision is to engage our culture with the bold truth of God coupled with raw faith. Now here's your host, Autumn Miles. Hey, this is Autumn with the Autumn Miles Show. How are you guys doing out there today? I love you guys so much. We have um, we have just come to love Y'all, we hear from you guys so much. I got a message from one of you guys the other day saying that our show is helping to change your life. And let me just tell you, I don't want to out you on the air, um, but uh, it was a woman, um, middle-aged woman, that sent us a message. And um, I I got very emotional when I saw that because uh, we, we believe that this is one of the missions of everyone who works on the show is to do exactly that. To present the bold truth of God's word uh, in a way that's practical and to challenge you out there to step out in faith, in raw faith, not packaged faith, not something that looks like faith. And you're telling people you're stepping out in faith, but you're actually controlling it. We are talking about modern day Moseses and Esthers that are stepping out scared but believing that God will support their steps. So thank you for reaching out to us. Um, we would love to hear from you. Just like this woman messaged us uh, not too uh, last week, I think it was. Um, we want to hear from you. We're all over social media. We do a ton of ministry over on Facebook. That's our primary hub. I feel like everyone has a hub. Some people's Instagram, ours is Facebook. Um, head on over. You can like the page, follow along Autumn Miles um, on Facebook and on Instagram. Twitter, we got one. We don't really use it, but it's there. Um, we, we, we want to hear from you. Also, I just want to remind you. Uh, we are listener supported. So we ain't on the air without support. And we have seen you guys step up and support us. And we just want to say thank you for that. But if this show has impacted your life, tis the season of giving, right? Um, I would just ask you to pray about, you know, no guilt here, but I do need to mention it. It's my responsibility to mention it. Um, I would ask you to pray about giving towards um, to, towards what we do, um, the Autumn Miles Ministries. You can go to autumnmiles.com and click the donate button. You can give a one-time gift. You can give a reoccurring gift. Um, but you know what? It would be our honor to take whatever it is that God lays on your heart and to invest it into um, the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you so much uh, for giving. I just want to thank you ahead of time. And um, I want to get to our show today. This is a show that is so incredibly relevant um, I, in our country in the last, well, <laughs> hundreds of years, uh, maybe we, we have a racial divide in our country. And a lot of you guys know that I have a diverse family. Um, my babies are, um, are black and my two white, uh, two biological children are white. And um, so any sort of um, racial story that, that is beautifully uh, sewn together with the power of God interests me. It is very, it's something that's very, very heavy on my heart and something that I am incredibly passionate about. And we have a story uh, today that 
really features uh, the grace and the glory of the Lord and brings together uh, a, a white man and uh, a black man. Um, I, I really don't want to tell the story, uh, but we are highlighting the book today. I want to get to my guest here in just a second. But we are highlighting the book Convicted. Okay, um, I don't want to. I don't want to really tease you at all, but I do want to welcome to our show Andrew Collins today. Uh, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Jamel and I are uh, here with you from Benton Harbor, Michigan. Awesome! So you're both there. That's great. Hi, Jamel. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? I'm so so honored to, uh, that you guys would just lend us your story to be able to proclaim God's glory and His grace. Um, I, I like I said, I didn't want to tease it at all. I want to get right to your story. Um, I recognize that this has been a nationally recognized story, um, and so I, I would I would really like I don't know whoever wants to go first, uh, you to kind of step in and and give us a background of what happened in your situation. Yeah, so uh, it was February 2006, and uh, I was a police officer. This is Andrew talking. I was a police officer, and uh, Jamel was a citizen of Benton Harbor, and I had caught a guy with some crack earlier in the morning. He made a phone call and set up a a deal for some more crack, and when I got to the location, uh, I saw the vehicle that I was told about, and there was one guy in the vehicle, and then one guy came out of the store, and uh, I knew kind of who I was looking for. I didn't know him personally, uh, but the guy in the vehicle had uh, a disability in his legs, and I knew that my target didn't have a disability. So this guy comes out of the store, and I'm thinking, well, that's got to be the guy. And that ended up being Jamel. Mm. And uh, Cliff Note's version is, by the end of the day, I find a crack, uh, an ounce of crack cocaine in the vehicle, and I lodged Jamel in jail under a false name because I thought he was my target. I thought he was my guy. And um, months later, he goes to trial because he knows he's innocent. And I lied throughout the entire process because I was convinced he was guilty. He was guilty until proven innocent. My filter was, this man's guilty. It's my job to get him convicted. And he eventually was. Okay. Uh, That was a whole lot of information in a really short period of time. (laughs) Okay. So Andrew, here you are, your police officer. Um, You, you, you see Jamal. He is innocent of, of what you are looking for, which is someone that is, uh, are they dealing crack cocaine or they just have possession of crack cocaine? Yeah, so what it was was uh, I got basically a street-level dealer who then called uh, his supplier. Uh, so it was uh, it was somebody who was bringing drugs, dealing drugs to another drug dealer. So okay. it would basically be like you know one level up from a street-level dealer. Okay. And you saw Jamal. He comes out of the store, and you you believed that he was the person that was dealing the crack cocaine. Is that right? Yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with the term implicit bias, but uh, you know when Jamal came out that day, a bunch of a bunch of things went through my head as he comes out of the store. One, it was pretty early in the day, and there wasn't a whole lot of movement in in the city. Uh, two, he, he did come towards the vehicle. Uh, he wasn't moving away from the vehicle. He's coming towards the vehicle. And three, he looked like a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, years removed from that position, what the heck does a drug dealer look like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sitting across from Jamel uh, at a desk right now, and he looks much like he did that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a flat bill hat on. He's, he's matching his shirt with his hat, and 
You know, his pants are a little baggy. You know, mm. he doesn't look a whole lot different today than he did then. But in my mind, uh, 22, 23-year-old white police officer, this guy looks like a drug dealer. Mm. So for the rest of that incident, you know, like I said, I, I treated him through the filter of guilty until proven innocent. Wow. Okay. So Jamel entered the story. So here you are, I don't know, buying Coca-Cola or whatever you're doing at the store. You come out and you, you, you know, eventually you are arrested for this crime of dealing crack cocaine. What is going through your mind? Because you know, you are an innocent man. Frustration, most of all. Mm. Um, I had my son, he was just born, his mother was um, just bringing him to see me. And um, at that time, I was just really, really trying to to beat her to um, my house. Because mm. I know if I missed her, it was, this probably was going to be the last time I see her. Um, so, because our, our relationship wasn't that great. And... When uh, I came out of the store and Andrew approached me, talking about he's a cop and where's the dope? I'm like, I don't got it. And then uh, I kept um, trying to get around him um, to keep pursuing to get home. And I quickly realized, like, that one didn't happen. Wow. So you have a newborn baby, Jamel. Is that right? You have a newborn baby that you were you were getting ready to see for the first time? Yes. Okay. And so was it the same day that you were arrested? Yes, it was the same day. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So you know you're innocent. Um, you have to see your, your son. Um, wh- when you are arrested, uh, Andrew told us that very quickly it went to trial. And you are convicted of this crime that that you didn't commit. Um, I want to I want to go back here to Andrew for a second. Um, what was going through your head, knowing that you, you? I mean, you just admitted that you had lied. What was kind of going through your head as you're watching this play out, knowing that Jamal probably isn't who you you your guy. He's he's not the one that you needed to arrest. Yeah, so uh, it was two days after the fact, after I lodged him under uh, one of his relatives' names, actually, that it came back that he was a different person. The FBI called me, mm. and they said, hey, uh, you locked up this guy, but it's actually this guy. Wow. Uh, so I was, still, I was still convinced that he was guilty, uh, walked through this entire thing, not knowing that he was innocent, just wrong place, wrong time. Uh, so I wrote a supplemental report saying, I know that I said that it was this guy, but sometimes I confuse street names. There's a lot of people that know in the city. So it was actually this guy, no harm, no foul, lied in front of the judge, lied in front of the prosecutor, uh, because I was seeing things through the filter of, it was my job to get the conviction, not my job to tell the truth. Uh, and I've, and I've heard through, um, different police academies that what they call that is justifiable corruption, Mm. that you have come to a place in your career where now you are justifying corruption because you feel like that, you know, the ends justify the means that, you know, uh, poor, poor Andrew for not getting there on time and seeing Jamel come out of the vehicle. So now it's justifiable for me to tell this lie. Now mm-hmm. I look back on it years later and I'm like, that's ridiculous. You know, you, oh, wow. you're not telling people, you know, I mean, it's, it's just completely ridiculous. So, and, and, so when I see cases today, 
And I'm like, wow, I can I can see how officers made that jump because I made mm. that same jump. And, and what happens is, for me, was Jamel became a, a piece of property. He became mm. uh, uh, something that was in my way of completing my job. He was now no longer, there was no humanity in it anymore. He mm. was something that was in my way of getting my job done. Oh, my goodness. So I stripped him of his humanity. I stripped him of his voice. And, and from that point on, it was all about my ego. It was the most amount of drugs I'd ever seen at that point. So there was that piece of it that I wanted to make sure that the conviction stuck. And So there was a lot a, of pride oh, in that. Like, wow, I got this big yeah. conviction. Now I've got this huge um, reputation as this cop that, you know, will will take you down, you know, if need be. And th- there's a lot of respect that comes with, with convictions like that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's. The pride is what brought the fall. Mm. I loved when people knew my name. I loved when they'd call me out. They have a local radio station that would report what my schedule was, and, and I just loved that. You know, wow. I was all about that. Wow. Okay. Oh, this is crazy. Okay, so Jamal, you you go to prison. How how long are you convicted? Um, what what's the sentence? Ten years. Ten years in federal prison. So you're so you go you go to two years in federal prison, you you know, ten years is it ten years or is it two years? Ten years. Ten years. So you go to federal prison for ten years. Tell me about what you're thinking in prison, knowing that you're an innocent man. Whew. <laughs> yeah, my brain was it was jacked up. I was thinking the worst of worst things. Um, I became a totally different person, um, unapproachable. You couldn't talk to me. I definitely wouldn't talk to you. Um, I was just hurt. You know what I'm saying? I was bitter, angry, frustrated. Um, and I made a goal for myself when I was in that for whenever I get out to, to seek Andrew out and hurt him. Mm. Um, that was a goal that I made for myself, but God seemingly didn't want that to happen. He I'm, had a different plan. I mean, it says, I, I, I mean, this is, this is, this is why it's so, the story is so crazy because it says you, you wanted to kill him. I promised myself yeah. that if I ever saw this cop again, I was going to kill him. I intended to keep that promise. So you were, you were coming for him no matter what. Yes. Yes. Wow. So how many, um, how many years of that sentence did you serve, Jamel? Three years. So you served three years. Um, now, what is happening with you, Andrew, while Jamel is in prison? Because this is very, uh, very interesting piece of the story. What what happens to you, Andrew? Yeah, there was a lot of parallels going on that we didn't realize. That uh, So we met in 2006. In 2008, I got caught with crack heroin and marijuana in my office. Oh, my and, uh, goodness. Yeah, I don't know how they do it in northern Texas, but that's frowned upon in Michigan. So, <laughs> very uh, frowned upon uh, in Texas. Very <laughs> frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was the end of Andrew's career. So I tell people I went on a three-day journey. Caught on a Tuesday, thought about killing myself on Wednesday. Mm. I just I, I didn't see any way to come back from this. And my wife came home from work. She saw the, the desperation. She said, you need to go talk to that pastor. Because I had been dabbling with church as an adult. You know, mm. as a kid, I accepted Christ at age seven. Never doubted that Jesus died for my sins. Was so thankful that he was my Savior, but had nothing to do with him being my Lord. Whoa. So I walked my life. Any any time in my life, I would have identified myself as a Christian, but Lordship belonged to Andrew Collins. So 
so I'd go to church, and I didn't like feeling guilty because the pastor would be talking about something I did wrong, but I got to know him a little bit, so I called that pastor up, and that was day three, and he listened to everything I did. I went in and met him. He listened to everything that I did. He let me spill my guts, and I tell you what, there's power in confession. The more mm. I confessed, the less I felt bad for getting caught, and the more I felt bad for what I had done. Mm. Um, I stopped feeling bad for myself and started feeling bad for the community in which I harmed. Uh, so he listened really patiently, and when I was done, he was like, Ooh, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, like, he is the worst counselor ever in the history of the world. Or like, the best. No, I'm in trouble, Or the best. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so then he asked me a question that forever changed my life. And he said, where are you at with Jesus? Mm. <clears throat> and I just hung my head, and I started crying. And mm. I said, I don't deserve him. I don't deserve You've heard everything I did. I don't deserve him. Wow. He said, that's the beauty of he said, that's the beauty of grace. It's mm. God's riches at Christ's expense. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. Amen. And then, and then we talked about this idea of lordship. He said, Andrew, he's been your savior. He's never been your lord. Do you want it? I said, man, this is my lordship. 25 years old, sitting in your office talking about suicide. Mm. So we prayed right there that, uh, that to invite Jesus in, not just to be my savior, to be, be my lord. And mm. So then months went by, and I ended up going to the FBI, and I, I wanted to own up for what I had done, and I went through a stack of paperwork of bad cases, and Jamel's was one of them. Wow. So I got locked up January 2009, and then the next week, February 2009, Jamel got out. Wow. Okay. <laughs> a twist of events here. Um, so, okay, so you go, you make, you make Jesus the Lord of your life, and you, are, you, you say, you know what, I got to confess. I have to confess. I've got to make this right. So you go to the FBI, look through all these cases. Jamel, so Jamel, you have no idea this is happening. Um, no. All you know is that one day they come to you and say you're a free man, right? Yes. Yeah, that was shocking. Uh, I had went to work one day, and um, well, actually, I had made a prayer for myself a week before um, that I can just just do something different. That um, I adapt a different mindset, and that um, I let God take control. Mm. And um, ultimately, in that the end of that week, um, I was called from work, which I didn't go at eight thirty that morning. Uh, they called me all day. And I never went uh, back to the unit until I got off my shift and went into the council office. And he told me I had 15 minutes to leave. And then um, I stepped out to, um, before I left out the door, he uh, handed me a paper from the judge saying my conviction was overturned. And I had to leave the premises immediately. Oh, my goodness. You had to leave? You're probably like, see ya. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay. So... Andrew, you go to prison. Jamel, you're released from prison. We heard about Andrew's transformation. Jamel, were you looking for Andrew, like, as soon as you got out of prison? Like, what what was going through your head when they said you're free? Because it says here in my notes, you you they completely overturned the conviction. So you were completely free, stain-free, no mark on your record, nothing. So tell me about what you did when you left. Um, yeah, I, uh, when I got home, I just was mainly, uh, I had kind of forgot all about Drew until, uh, um, until I saw him, um, a couple years later in the park. Um, and 
I thought that was him, and I'm just like, no, that ain't him. <laughs> that can't be him. Not in this park. And um, So what park was it? What park were you at? It was, it was at Broadway Park. Okay. And their church was doing a, a event out there, and I was just like, no, that can't be him. And my son wanted to go. I had just got to meet him this day, and uh, he wanted to go over there. I was like, ah, so I'm like, all right, come on. I didn't want to disappoint him the first day meeting him. So I was like, all right, let's go. And Andrew turned around. I was like, oh, boy. So everything that I was feeling back in prison was back on my shoulders now that we were face-to-face or about to be face-to-face. So um, so what did you do? You you was, You certainly weren't working. expecting him. You you no. turn around, you recognize him. You wanted to kill him at one point. What what yes. do you do? Yes, I go right over. I beeline right over to him, and I stick out my hand and I ask him, "Do you remember who I was?" And as soon as he said my name, I locked down on his hand, and um, Andrew began to apologize and that he's uh, he's sorry and that he's a new creation in Christ, and mm. um, and that my mind was just hit him, just hit him, mm. just get it over, just get. Get this going. You're taking too long. Um, but I also had also met me in the park as well, and um, he assured me that this is not, this is not my fight. This ain't something that I want to do. Wow. Um, and then not only that, that this I would be teaching my son firsthand how to go about things the wrong way. Hmm. He was standing right beside me. The only thing I said was. I said some really mean things to Andrew, and I, uh, I let him go. And I also uh, asked him to explain to my son why I was um, I was missing out of his years. I mean, out of his life for those years. Oh my goodness! This story was so powerful that um, I actually wanted to stop it here, and um, we are going to pick up part two tomorrow. Um, this story about uh, Jamel McGee and Andrew Collins is a game changer, I think. When you look at our culture and when you when you see these stories come on the news media of, you know, the white cop and the 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 black man that's imprisoned, uh, you know, it always sort of arouses some sort of emotional feeling in us. And um I I Honestly, could not keep this story in one show. It's amazing. There's a couple of things I want to talk about before we um, wrap up today that I just want to challenge you on. First of all, uh, this racism issue is incredibly important. You'll hear tomorrow, um, I ask both of these men, you know, what can we do to do a better job at uh, race relations in our country? And um, both of them have very incredible perspectives. They have a very respectable perspectives. Andrew, one of the things that he said about how we deal with these, these race relations is we have to talk to each other. We have to listen We have to listen to what each other is saying. We can't just talk at each other. We have to talk to each other. There are real things that can be confronted on every side of this conversation. You know, um, 
what Jamal said, a man who had been convicted and served prison time in a federal prison for three years for commit for doing a crime he did not commit. He was an innocent man. Um, said, listen, the black community needs to uh, let go of some anger. They they need to let go of some of it. One of the things that he said that I thought was so incredible was it's not my fight. And um, I thought that was so powerful as we're looking at all the ways that races interact in our country. It's not just a black white thing. I mean, it's 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 every different type of race coming together. It is God's fight. God's God's stance is unity. And it's amazing through the transformation of Andrew um, and really God (laughs) infiltrating the heart of Jamel. They are not only able to seek forgiveness and accept forgiveness. They're friends. They're friends to a point where they were able to come together and write this book convicted so that it can convict us if we need the conviction. This is a story I I was talking to Andrew about before we went on air that needs to be told because we need to start, as Andrew suggested, talking to each other challenging our ways of thinking this idea of racism did not come about yesterday and you know it's not going to go away unless we sincerely sit down and say let me understand this your perspective I want you to understand my perspective and we start learning from one another Um, it's a beautiful book I highly encourage you to go pick it up again the name of it is convicted Jamel McGee and Andrew Collins co- authored it together crazy circumstances and through the grace of God are able to be buddies and work together to fight against racial profiling um, and and different social issues that we see in our society every single day I thank you so much for joining me today do not miss part two of this convicted um, uh, radio show tomorrow Thanks so much for listening today. The Autumn Miles program is listener supported and your donation to keep it on the air is appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com. And with a $100 donation or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of Autumn's book, Appointed, Your Future Starts Now. Join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on The Word, 100.7 FM.